This is The Visible Hand, a podcast about organizations, economics, and management. My name is Jordi Blanesi Vidal, and I am an associate professor at the Department of Management, London School of Economics. My guest today is Isabella Manelici, who is currently an IES postdoctoral fellow in the Department of Economics at Princeton University. This fall, Isabella will join the Department of Economics at the London School of Economics as an assistant professor. Today, we are going to talk about her paper, The Effect of Joining Multinational Supply Chains, New Evidence from Firm to Firm Linkages, joined with Alonso Alfalo Ureña and Jose Vasquez. Isabella, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. A pleasure to be part of this. Isabella, what is joining a multinational supply chain through a firm-to-firm linkage? So basically what we are shedding light on through this project um, is a relationship that is established between a domestic firm, in our case in Costa Rica, and a foreign multinational affiliate in the country. So this domestic firm in Costa Rica is joining the supply chain of this multinational, of a given multinational affiliate. Does this include any type of relation? Like for instance, imagine that the multinational needs to get the walls of its main plant painted in purple and you have a painting business. Have you then now joined the multinational supply chain? So we are um, observing this relationship is through firm-to-firm transaction data. This is data that is collected in Costa Rica for the purposes of, of tax enforcement. And basically, as long as a given transaction between a domestic firm and a given multinational is recorded in that firm-to-firm transaction data, then that's a relationship we will study. For a relationship to appear in this data, it needs to amount to more than $4,200 per year. So basically, it has to be meaningful enough for that relationship to be recorded in the tax records. And of course, you might wonder whether all relationships are as beneficial. And, and as we will talk later, uh, most likely, of course, we will look at the heterogeneity of results based on the type of relationship. The multinational comes to your country, then you, for whatever reason, become a supplier to that multinational, and therefore you join that supply chain. You say in the paper that throughout the world, many countries, especially developing countries, have set up generous incentives to get multinationals to move to their countries. Clearly, that must mean that the rulers of these countries are evaluating that there are advantages when the multinationals come to town. Why do we need a study to tell us that there are advantages? So for sure, there is a lot of excitement among policymakers around the world to attract these firms. There is a sense in the policy world that there are both great direct and indirect benefits of attracting these firms. On the indirect side, the type of effects that are most expected are the ones with domestic firms, and in particular, domestic firms that supply services and goods to these firms. However, there is uncertainty as to how beneficial this kind of relationships really are for domestic firms. And having credible, uh, precise estimate of these benefits, we think should be an important input in any type of cost-benefit analysis. Like, do we really want to be as generous with our tax breaks? Will they pay off in terms of indirect effects on domestic firms and workers? So the effects are regarded as being positive. We would expect before this paper that they are positive, but the magnitude matters a lot because, as you say, there is potentially a big cost of attracting these multinationals. So therefore, quantifying this benefit is critical, as you say, for the cost-benefit analysis. 
So for sure, this paper is by far not the first paper to have this interest. If you go on Google Scholar and you look at FDI and productivity, there's something like 2 million output you know, results on, on Google Scholar. So clearly, there was a lot of interest prior to this. What we knew from the past research is that there was a positive association between having more FDI in your downstream industries and firms in these upstream industries having higher TFP growth. What was harder with the kind of data that was available before and the kind of empirical strategies was to establish first a causal statement so that it's not just an association, but it's it's actually a causal positive effect and also to measure any such causal positive effect. So you are talking about firms in the upstream, like in the plural. Does previous research know whether these firms in the upstream are the ones that are actually supplying to that downstream multinational? So with previous data, unfortunately, that was not possible. So what was done before was to construct some industry level measures of exposure to FDI. So the way this was done was using input-output tables that were at the sector level and sector-level measures of foreign ownership. So one could see how is the TFP of firms in a given upstream industry associated with um, its um, linkages to downstream industries, again, using the input-output table and using the sector-level measure of foreign ownership of those downstream industries. But it, we did not know how many firms were actually supplying and whether using the input-output table was a, a good proxy for how foreign multinationals source developing countries. Am I right in deducing then that there are two benefits? One of them is measurement in that if you have a data on transactions that are firm to firm, you can actually figure out which is the firm that is actually supplying to multinational. But the second benefit is that that finer measurement also provides you at least the opportunity to have better identification. That it, it is difficult to find some type of empirical strategy at the sector level, but at the firm level, maybe this is easier. Yes, that's a, a great summary of these benefits. So we are both able to say something about the measurement of the benefits and, and shedding light on the mechanisms through which these domestic firms are improving their performance because we observe in a very rich way exactly what is happening to these domestic firms upon joining the supply chain of, of a multinational. And second, we are also able to tease out direction of causality between starting to supply to a given multinational and subsequent improvements in firm performance. So for instance, we're able to say something about whether it's selection into supplying to a multinational. So are multinationals choosing suppliers because they are already embarked on a positive trend of improvement in firm performance? Or is it that indeed what we see after the, the linkage with a multinational is causally attributable to the linkage with a multinational? So we're able to say something about this direction of causality. So you were mentioning earlier that previous research have found an association between multinationals in the downstream and total factor productivity growth 
in the sector of the upstream. Is productivity the main dependent variable that typically the literature and maybe more informally policymakers are interested in? Is the productivity of the firms in the country the thing that we are trying to affect? For sure, a measure of a TFP residual is was the typical and continues being the typical dependent variable. So typically it's revenue-based TFP. It's very rare that one can observe prices and quantities separately. So this TFP is a, a revenue-based measure the one that is commonly used. And yes, the idea is that looking at a TFP is something that gives us insights on whether there was some potential transfer of knowledge going from the multinational to the domestic firm that supplies to this multinational. So for instance, we don't just want firms to grow in size through some sort of demand effect, but we want to have a sense that these multinationals are sharing some of their know-how with the domestic firms that would afterwards have some ripple effects in the rest of the domestic economy because these domestic firms will interact with their domestic buyers and and their competitors. And and there's this sort of ripple effect of this knowledge transfer. So I gave you earlier the example of that painting business that suddenly has to paint the walls of the plant of the multinational. If that transaction was monetarily large enough, it will be a linkage that will appear, as you will tell us later in your data. But of course, in that example, we wouldn't expect that you are suddenly able to paint better just because a multinational moved to town. In the same way, if you are the landlord of the multinational, again, well, there is a benefit to you of the multinational arriving, but that's at the cost of your previous tenant. But the argument or the expectation is that the examples that I'm giving here are not representative. The representative supplier is engaging some type of manufacturing process where that technology transfer can take place and therefore supplying to a multinational can actually make you more productive. Yes, fully correct. Ideally, we would want the type of domestic firms that match with with multinationals in the country to be in a position in which they can extract most knowledge possible from from that multinational, meaning that they would be in a long-term relationship, that they would be supplying some inputs that are close to the core of the of the multinational such that the multinational has incentives to transfer knowledge and, and improve the productivity of, of this domestic firm. So that's sort of the ideal case. One of the outcomes of our research is to shed light in the context of Costa Rica on what are the industries that are actually supplying to multinationals in a developing country. And for, from the perspective of policymakers, they need to know, is there scope for knowledge transfer from multinationals to the kind of domestic firms that are supplying to multinationals? And as I was alluding before, we are finding a very strong heterogeneity of the results based on the industry of the supplier and also based on how likely it is that um, what the supplier sells to the multinational is something that the multinational cares deeply about is, is, let's say, a core input for the multinational. So what type of data do you have at least to undertake the first initial the baseline analysis? So together with my co-author, um, Alonso and, and Jose, we have looked for a context in which we were able to 
to make progress on the data challenges that the previous literature had to face. And we found that setting that was uh, overcoming those challenges in the case of Costa Rica. In Costa Rica, we were able to assemble a rich set of administrative data sets. And the jewel of the crown in terms of data sets, as I mentioned before, is a data set that allows us to track all firm-to-firm linkages between formal firms in the economy. And as I was saying before, the relationship has to be meaningful enough in terms of amount. So it has to be a bit more than $4,000 per year. And with this data set, we're able to observe domestic firms as they establish their first relationship with a multinational, track how that relationship is going, and even more interestingly, track how or other relationships with other buyers evolve for those domestic firms. So that's sort of the jewel of the crown, the firm-to-firm transaction data. But we also need to observe other characteristics of firms. So we add corporate income tax data that gives us typical balance sheet variables, foreign ownership data. For some exercises, we also use a matched employer-employee data. But sort of the main data set, the star data set for this project is the firm-to-firm transaction one. What is the baseline empirical strategy that you use? So in the baseline strategy, we use an event study design, and the event is defined as the first time a given domestic firm starts supplying to a multinational in the country. And in the identification uh, strategy for this event study design basically requires that firms yet to supply to a multinational They provide valid counterfactual for firms that have started supplying after we've accounted for time invariant firm characteristics that we take care of through firm fixed effects. And also after we've accounted for shocks that are common at the province by sector by year level. So the comparison group is other firms in the same narrow sector, province and year. Presumably Costa Rica is not very big. So how many provinces are are there? Six. Costa Rica is half of London. Yes, in terms of population, but larger in in surface. So Costa Rica has six provinces, and you should think of a province um, having the size of a commuting zone in the U.S., if that's a reference uh, one is familiar with. So within the same combination of sector, province, and year, uh, you are looking at firms that are starting to supply to a multinational and and compare them to other firms but you compare them not in their levels because the levels have already been accounted for, but instead in the evolution over time. And as you said, the critical element here is the evolution around that event, which is the first time that the treated firm starts to supply to the multinational. Correct. We're able with this uh, empirical strategy, we're able to look at, I think the, the first benefit of an event study is its transparency and the transparency most notably in terms of pre-trends. So what we're able to observe is whether firms that are starting to uh, supply to a multinational are able to see whether they were already embarked Um, on some sort of positive trend in some measure of firm performance. You can think of firm size or the TFE residual, 
or whether there is a, a clear break in the evolution of that outcome immediately after, or if there are some dyna- dynamics to it after this first linkage. So the fact that we're able to say something about selection on trends is, is a, a great benefit of the, the event study design, for sure. So the idea would be that if the dependent variable was, let's say, productivity, and we found that firms that end up supplying for a multinational were already increasing in productivity relative to their firms prior to supply to the multinational, then the conclusion will be that it is not the fact that supply increased productivity, but instead that an increase in productivity perhaps is the thing that allows those firms to supply to the multinational. The causality perhaps will be reversed. Reverse. So it, it will be, you know, suspicious as, as a or maybe an alternative ex- explanation of these associations. Correct, correct. Okay, so what do you find uh, with this first uh, baseline specification? So basically, we find that across a large variety of measures of firm performance, domestic firms experience strong and persistent gains in firm performance after supplying to a first multinational buyer on average. Of course, as I mentioned before, there are heterogeneous effects. So for instance, Four years after joining the supply chain of a multinational, we find that domestic firms uh, employ 26% more workers. And depending on your favorite measure of TFP, they uh, have a 4 to 9% higher TFP those four years after relative to the year before um, starting to supply. One concern that you might have is that part of this is driven by you know mechanically adding a new um, uh, firm to your portfolio, and this increases the, the size of the firm in some sort of mechanical way. So what we do afterwards is also look at what happens to the business that these firms have with all their other buyers. So buyers that are not the multinational triggering the event. And what we're finding are very strong increases in sales to other buyers as well, such that four years after starting to supply to a multinational, these domestic firms are selling 20% more to other buyers relative to the year before. And this is something really interesting because it's not you know, mechanically driven by the addition of this new buyer. It is mechanically driven. It's just that that mechanical effect is not the overall effect. Not mechanical in the sense that these are buyers other than the multinational triggering the event. So there could be, if for instance, firms have increasing returns to scale, then you could say, okay, the fact that the firm received a demand shock from a big demand shock is something that through increasing returns to scale makes these firms more competitive also with their other buyers. And then in that way, they're able to sell more to other buyers but actually, we will we will study later to which extent this is driven by you know what happens to the other buyers is driven by demand effects. What I mean to say is that you have two types of dependent variables. The first one is essentially size. You said yes. sales, employment, assets, cost of inputs. You know. The second is productivity. Okay, this uh, thing that uh, residual or TFP this or TFP that. The concern is not necessarily for the second type of a productivity variable, but more for the first, as, as you were saying. There is a mechanical effect that if I have one more buyer, then my, my, my sales are going to be higher. That is, you know? Yes, 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 yes. yes. It's Correct. almost by definition. So it is partly a mechanical effect. You are saying 
yes, it may be partly mechanical, but it is not only mechanical with respect to the size, because other firms are also buying more from our firm. Is that? Yes. So if a productivity is our main variable of interest, why are we interested in whether this firm sells to other firms or not? We're interested for two reasons. First, because TFP measures in, in the standard way of measuring TFP are still potentially plagued by some concerns. So for instance, in the kind of administrative data that we use, we cannot observe separately prices and quantities. So we cannot rule out in a definitive way that there are not some markup effects from the multinationals. So if, for instance, multinationals are requiring higher quality goods and higher quality goods command higher markups, then it could be that part of the revenue TFP that we're measuring is capturing markup effects as opposed to pure you know, efficiency in, in the way we want to think about TFP. So for us, being able to focus on what happens in the relationships with all other buyers is somehow taking away that transaction, that relationship with a multinational where one might have this potential markup and really seeing whether is there something good that has happened to these firms that afterwards spills over into their other relationships where we that we don't suspect of, of suffering from these concerns of potentially higher markups. Am I right? I then in concluding that in some sense, selling to other buyers and therefore being more attractive to other buyers is some type of indirect measure of productivity that combines with the earlier measure of productivity that you are saying that is imperfect because our ways of calculating are never perfect. So it's good to, to also look indirectly through that route. Yes, I think that that's a correct characterization. I think looking at the, the relationships with other buyers Buyers. One can, as I said, isolate this concern about the higher markup in the relationship with a multinational. We are actually looking both at the intensive margin of success with other buyers. So on average, how much we sell to other buyers and also on the extensive margin. So how many new buyers do, you, do we have? And what we're observing is that more than two-thirds of the improvement in sales to others, in business with others, is coming on the extensive margin. So it's coming from the improved ability of these domestic firms to match with more buyers, to convince more buyers to purchase from them. One can write a model in which most of these effects are driven by TFP. So TFP in a narrowly defined way, so physical efficiency. But these effects are also consistent with improvements in product quality, product scope, and reputation. So, for instance, the reputation one might be um, the reputation effect might be a bit um, newer uh, to to some of some some people. So, what what would be this reputation effect? Well, the moment a domestic firm starts supplying to a multinational. This is something that changes the standing, the position of this firm and the reputation of this firm in the local market um, and reveals something about the type of the firm. So being able to advertise oneself as a supplier to multinationals is also um, something that improves the reputation of these firms. And for sure, the fact that we observe that a lot of the improvement in, in sales to others comes from being able to match with more buyers is at least indicative that this reputation channel is important. Unfortunately, something we cannot do is to have a clean separation between <clears throat> how much of this is physical efficiency in a 
narrowly defined way how much it is product quality, product scope, or reputation. So this these effects are um, that we're showcasing could be rationalized by a combination of these different changes. All of them, depending on your what's your favorite model, uh, could be isomorphic, um, at least the product scope, quality, and, and physical efficiency one. But we think all of them are at play to some extent. Okay, so you have told us about this baseline empirical strategy, but you use alternative strategies. What is the problem that you are trying to solve by using these alternative strategies and what are they? So one concern that one might have is that, as, as you were saying before, we're comparing the outcomes of, first, of a given first-time supplier to the outcomes of other firms in the same narrowly defined industry and province. But one might concoct a story in which these firms are not that similar. So there might be some other characteristics that these first-time suppliers have that are not captured by these two characteristics, the location and the industry. So what we're trying to do, to do with this other control group, uh, these other specifications that you mentioned, is to investigate to which extent our results are driven by some you know, fortuitous choice of a control control group and how much of it is driven by the, the actual staggered timing of the event, that it's really the event driving the results as opposed to choosing one control group versus another. Just to be clear, it is okay if they are different as long as they are similar in their evolution over time. And we have already seen from the baseline empirical strategy that they are similar in the evolution over time in all the periods leading to the event. Correct. But we are showing that in terms of some observable characteristics. So, you know, depending on what is the outcome we're looking at, it could be number of workers, it could be net inputs, it could be some measure of TFP. But you might think, oh, maybe there are some other unobservable characteristics on which these firms actually do not trend together. So for that reason, we looked at different sets of firms that are plausibly more similar to the firms that become first-time suppliers. One such group comes from a government program called Productive Linkages. And in this government program, what the government does is basically it acts as a matchmaker between a given multinational that has a given input need and domestic firms that are ready and willing to supply multinationals. And what this government arm does is to share with the multinational a short list of the highest ranked, highest scored domestic firms that are ready to start supplying. And the advantage of this setup is that we're observing a set of three, four firms that were considered very similar and very ready, similarly ready to, to start supplying. And then we observe that only one of those firms starts a, a linkage with a multinational. And we then compare the outcomes both before and after for this winning firm relative to the losing firms. So this is, for instance, one of the of the alternative control groups that we, we study. And you find something similar with using the losers from that contest that uh, have been chosen as looking very similar to the winners, as you find in your baseline specification? Yes. So qualitatively, the estimates are slightly different, the point estimates, because the sample from the productive linkages program is smaller. So the confidence intervals are larger in the, um, and, and they're noisier. But the overall message is, is the same. And the confidence intervals are overlapping, so we cannot reject um, the two being, being very similar, yes. Okay, so you have just claimed 
that there is a causal relation between a starting to supply and an increase in productivity. The event study, as you said, is transparent in that it allows us to see that there are no trends that appear to be different prior to, to that event. And, and obviously, this productive linkages alternative strategy is more credible in that the control group is chosen as being as similar as possible to the treatment group. But imagine that I wanted to keep pushing you along this direction and that I kept arguing that the true causal relation is the opposite. That is, there is some type of productivity shock that happens to the firms that are supplying to the multinational. The productivity shock does not take place one year before, but exactly on the year on which supplying takes place. Do you have any additional evidence to argue that the causal relation goes in the direction that uh, you claim? That's a great point. Something that an event study can never do is to rule out, as you were saying, that there is a shock that happens to the firm that is unobserved to us and that can both explain the event, so the the first linkage with a multinational, and could potentially also explain all the other improvements in firm performance that we measure. One caveat that is important to say from the get-go is that one can never rule out all shocks. You know, if the, if the shock is unobserved, by definition, not all shocks can be ruled out. You cannot prove a negative. Exactly. So, however, what we did is to do some introspection and and talk to people like yourselves and try to identify what are the shocks that are most likely to potentially occur and also fit the pattern that I've just described that could be problematic. And what we've identified is that the hiring of an influential worker could be problematic. So who is this influential worker? It could be a a new manager um, that is being hired by the firm, or it could be a former employee of a multinational or a former employee of a supplier to a multinational. So one of these kind of, of, of workers in the firm arriving newly at the firm could both come with its contacts with multinationals. So could, you know, have the phone number of the supply chain manager of a multinational and say, hey, consider this firm for business. So it could explain the first linkage with a multinational. And this worker could also come with some knowledge that is valuable to the firm and that independently of this first linkage with a multinational is able to, to improve firm performance. So what we did is uh, we took advantage of the fact that we also put together these other data sets with the matched employer-employee data. So we can observe worker firm matches. And we were able to identify which of the first-time suppliers to multinationals has experienced the change in management or has hired one of, you know, a former worker to an MNC or to a supplier to an MNC. And once we've identified those firms, we basically threw them out of the sample altogether and looked at whether the the estimates changed or not. And basically they were unchanged. So what this robustness check tells us is that at least this potentially problematic scenario of hiring a new manager or or hiring a worker with experience with multinationals does not seem to be the driver of of what we're finding. Okay, so I am now convinced that firms that start to supply to a multinational become better along a set of dimensions, most importantly, in terms of productivity. The question now, I guess, is what is different about multinationals? And uh, you can think of several characteristics that are typically associated with multinationals. So firstly, they are big. 
Secondly, they are typically very productive. And thirdly, I guess most obviously they are internationally connected. I, I don't know if you have some other big characteristics, but can you disentangle or at least you know provide some clues about which of these features might be the one that is creating these positive effects for these first suppliers? Yes, that's a great point. At the end of the day, multinationals are an, an object of obsession for policymakers, so multinationals specifically. But from an economic standpoint, we want to know, is there really something special about these multinationals? Is the multinational status what really matters for the effect that we're finding? What we are able to do with, uh, with the setting we have in Costa Rica is to look at firms or other type of buyers. So we also consider the government that share characteristics with multinationals. So for instance, we look at what happens to domestic firms when they become suppliers to a big domestic buyer or when they become sellers to the government, the government being another buyer that is big and also is a reliable payer. We also look at what happens to, to domestic firms when they become suppliers to a domestic exporter. So all of these firms or buyers um, have something in common with a multinational and also provide uh, large demand effects and large demand shocks to their buyers. And basically what we, in a nutshell, what we find is that there are some short run effects that are similar, particularly those that have to do with size, um, the size of the firm. But if we we start looking at TFP and also at more long-term effects, there's a clear divergence in the outcomes of domestic firms, depending on what kind of buyer they sell to. And long story short, selling to a multinational seems to have very distinctive positive effects on domestic firms above and beyond what is uh, captured by you know, the demand shock from a, a buyer with sharing characteristics with these multinationals. I want to be, however, upfront about something. Multinationals are special in many ways. And one of the reasons why policymakers attract them in the first place to a developing country is that they don't have firms that look like multinationals before. So finding placebo buyer that looks identical to the multinational on all dimensions but the multinational status is actually hard to impossible in a developing country. So there's, for instance, um, you know, if you think about buyers such as Intel, active, you know, operating in the in the semiconductors industry, which is a very sophisticated niche industry, there's no domestic Intel um, that we can compare to. So we think that while our, this exercise is very informative on to, you know, what when it comes to, is it just a mere demand effect? Then the answer is no. It doesn't fully, you know, definitively say there is this one characteristic of multinationals that matters above and beyond. Because again, there are no firms that look like multinationals on all dimensions in the setup of a developing country. Okay, so the, of the three characteristics that I gave you earlier, that they are big, that they are very productive, that they're internationally connected, you are able to find other firms that are local to Costa Rica that also meet the first criteria, that are also big. Like for instance, the government, large domestic buyers, but along the second and third dimensions, it becomes harder because, as you say, Costa Rica doesn't have multinationals of its own, uh, and it yes. doesn't have so many like firms that look like multinationals. So, so we are able to at least rule out that selling to a big company has similar effects. 
Yes, correct. I was a bit struck about why is it that you are equalizing selling to a big company and having a high demand shock? Because presumably, if the argument is one of economies of scale, what matters is how much your sales have increased rather than how big your buyer is. In, in principle, you can sell very little, say $4,200 only to make it into the sample to a very big buyer, in which case you don't have a demand shock. Or is it that typically the correlation is quite strong? So two answers. Uh, your intuition is correct. So two answers to this. First, it is true that there is a positive correlation between, between your size and, and the average transaction. That positive correlation is weak, though. New work on firm-to-firm transaction data shows that big buyers are big not because they buy more, but because they buy for more, from more firms. So they're the work of Andrew Bernard, for instance, is, is very informative uh, and co-authors is very informative on this dimension. But I think the, the, the more precise answer in the, in the setup that we have is that we actually look at the characteristics of the first transaction and we create a sample of first-time suppliers to multinationals that look similar to the first-time suppliers to, let's say, a big domestic firm, both in terms of the characteristics of the supplier and in terms of the characteristics of the interaction, so the length of the relationship and the amount of the relationship. So why do we do this? We do this because if we were to find, as we do, different results, then you might ask the question, is it that the buyer is different and that's what drives the difference in the results? Or is it that the firms that sell to different type of buyers are different in terms of industry, in terms of size, and also in terms of the first interaction? And then the difference that we're seeing is a, is a difference in the composition of the suppliers, of the characteristics of the suppliers and their relationship, and not something that you can attribute to the buyers. And for that reason, we do this matching in which we say for each seller to a given, say, bigger domestic firm, we want to find an equivalent or as as most similar as possible first-time supplier to an MNC that is in the same industry, has similar size, and has a first transaction with an MNC of similar size as the as the firm selling to a big domestic buyer. So we want to rule out that it's it's a difference in the firms that sell and how much they sell that drives the differences in, in the effects that we're finding as opposed to the characteristics of the buyers that matter. Okay, so you were mentioning earlier that the heterogeneity is very interesting here uh, in that not all suppliers and not all multinationals are associated with the same magnitude of effects. Can you expand yes. a bit on that? Yes. So basically, we're finding that not all relationships are created equal between domestic firms and multinationals. So we're finding that starting to supply, for instance, to multinationals in manufacturing is what is most beneficial for a, a domestic firm. And in particular, if the domestic firm itself is in manufacturing. So this some intuition that you were you were sharing uh, with us at the very beginning that you know having a supplier in manufacturing selling to another to a buyer in manufacturing is where you are expecting most of the knowledge transfers to occur. And uh, your intuition is, is verified in, in what we're finding. We also see that selling to multinationals that are coming from countries that are more developed, that um, have better managerial practices, are, are more beneficial for domestic firms. This is kind of intuitive. These are the firms um, that are most likely to, to have know-how to share. 
And also, as, as I was alluding before, domestic firms that sell an input to a multinational that is more likely to be a core input for that multinational, they're also benefiting more from that relationship in terms of uh, productivity gains, for instance. So everything in terms of the heterogeneity that you have mentioned up to this point, I will have predicted, and I guess that most people will have predicted. But there is one that you have not mentioned that was surprising to me. And this is the fact that the effects are larger when the multinational is smaller. Okay. That is not something that I would have predicted because my intuition would have been that these policymakers want to attract one Intel rather than 10 smaller firms. I don't obviously know their names, but that that getting a big price, attracting like an, an enormous multinational is what really changed the landscape of a region or a, or a small country like Costa Rica, uh, rather than attracting many, many smaller uh, firms. Yes. So we have also conducted interviews, surveys with domestic firms and with multinationals. And what I'm going to share now is, is basically coming from these surveys, so it has a more qualitative nature. What we have learned from these surveys is that multinationals that are larger, they tend to have already an established base of suppliers that is a global base of suppliers. And they're extremely difficult to satisfy, let's say. So their, you know, their their expectations are very high and they're less likely to have the patience to invest in a small, you know, Costa Rican supplier when they have the world at their fingertips and they can import many of their critical inputs where knowledge transfer would occur from anywhere in the world. So keep in mind that most of these multinationals, they are part of a special economic zone. And when one is part of a special economic zone, one can import without any import duties, for instance. So this makes importing uh, attractive for these firms. However, the smaller multinationals, they might not be as much, you know, driven by the supplier base that is at the headquarters, and they might be more likely to interact with the local firms and, and build a relationship of trust with them and, and be willing to invest in their development. So this was a very striking result for us. We were expecting that larger multinationals would have like these supplier development projects or, or programs, and then they would have these teams that would come and, and would invest a lot of time in their suppliers. But at least anecdotally from, from the surveys, it felt as if these firms are in a strong bargaining position. So they don't need to invest as much in, in supplier development because they have so many choices to, to choose from, options to choose from. Very good. So I am... Now convinced about these effects. One question that I had when you were mentioning the numbers on the size of the effects was the four to nine percent increase in productivity. And this is not my field, so I don't know whether this number is regarded as large or small, but to me it seems that is relatively small compared with what you were saying is the large amounts of efforts that countries and regions undertake in order to attract multinationals. I mean, of course, you could say, well, these are the average effects because we are lumping there. You know, the examples that I was giving earlier about the painting business and everything, and they are not the effects that the policymakers have in mind. And you could tell me also that there are indirect effects 
But was that a number that you were expecting or would you have a predicted that for the firm that is applying to the multinational, the numbers are slightly larger? So I think our intuition was that we would find a positive number. I think there was a sense in the previous literature that the associations that they were finding had a causal interpretation, even if the data was not uh, helpful in, in really nailing this, this causality claim. So I think there was a, clearly a sense in this large literature that the effects would be positive. I think where there was more ambiguity was as to the magnitude uh, of the positive effect. And for sure, we are lumping uh, in this 4 to 9% firms in manufacturing, which experience very strong improvements in firm performance, if I remember correctly, up to 18%. And firms that experience no gain, uh, like those in agriculture or in services or in retail. So, and because the firms in manufacturing are something like 15% of the sample, um, of course, that this would decrease the, the overall average effect. But for those firms that are those that we have identified as the ones that benefit the most from these relationships, the gains are, are very big. From a policy perspective, the question is, are they big enough when we aggregate them? So it's good that the, the gains are big for a handful of firms, but are they big enough as to justify generous tax breaks that are offered to these firms, to these multinationals? And of course, to measure whether they are big enough, you will have to add the direct effects on the firms that are supplying international to potential additional indirect effects that come from technology transfer from these suppliers to other firms that they have links with. That is, the spillovers can continue. And from that perspective, I was wondering whether the earlier studies that are perhaps less well identified, but that look at the overall sector that is on the upstream supplying to the multinational are in some sense capturing something closer to the measure of interest. Because when one looks at the sector, the sector already provides the composite measure of increasing productivity rather than the effect that is targeted to one firm, but perhaps zero or not zero for, for, for other firms. To the extent that there are some spillovers, positive or negative, between the suppliers, the direct suppliers and other firms, it's true that industry level measures are have this advantage that uh, one studies the outcomes at the, at the, on average at the industry level. But we have to keep in mind that those are relative effects as well. So I think from a policy perspective, what we really care about are the general equilibrium effects. I think that, the and this is something that we are currently working on in, in the same team as thinking about the um, G implications of, of attracting multinationals. And so I think the purpose in our project was narrower in the sense that we really wanted to answer this question, what happens to domestic firms upon supplying to multinationals? This is a question that has a lot of interest because the literature on which we build has identified these relationships as the most likely conduit for TFE gains. So they that literature failed to find positive effects on buyers from multinationals, and they've also failed to find consistently effects on com competitors to multinationals. 
And the only positive associations that came uh, again and again were on the upstream industries. So it was, we thought it was important to first and foremost tackle the causal interpretation and also the measurement of the effects on these suppliers. But yeah, for sure, in terms of future work, we are very interested in what are the uh, general equilibrium implications um, of of these policies of uh, attracting with um, with very generous fiscal incentives, multinationals. Thank you, Isabella, for coming to the program. Thank you very much for the invitation. It was a pleasure. My guest today has been Isabella Manelici. My name is Jordi Vladesibirat, and this is the Visible Hand podcast. Please visit our website, thevisiblehand.uk, for links to some of the papers that we discussed. The interactory music and logo selected by Aitana Blanesiso, the episode was produced by Anderson Tan. 